Hey everybody, I'm Enoch Clausen. And I'm Austin Ivey. And you're listening to the What About Therapy podcast. This is episode 71, and we have one of the best people in the world, Gainalyn Condi, on the show, and we are so excited to have her on. So without further ado, let's get right into this. All right, Gainalyn Condi, welcome to the show. Rain. It's so good to be with you guys. Sorry for the dog barking. Someone walked by outside. I think once every episode, Zuko comes in and does something. Yeah. And so yeah. I think I think at this point, dogs are more of just a theme rather than a, a nuisance on our podcast. No, so I, think, okay. it fits. I think the pandemic changed our standards of everything and what we expect on media. So, yeah. Yeah. I true. used to, the, like at the beginning of the pandemic, when I would do speaking events, I would try so hard to make it quiet and then about halfway through the pandemic i was like everybody's zooming something right now it's fine no literally and i think for me anyway i enjoy that more just the authenticity of just people mm -hmm. being people you know yeah rather than trying to be get the perfect clip yep i'm not yep. about it clearly we're not about that here yeah it's boring <laughs> when you start to get into that like we start we tried doing that when you first started the podcast and I don't know. It just felt so rote. And now that we're so much more, I don't know, I don't say chill. That sounds so unprofessional, but it really is. That's where we are at this yeah, point. Just looking chill. for authenticity. And um, so if dogs are barking, that, that's right what we're looking for. Cool. Yeah. It's my jam. Enoch knows that. Like I do a, a weekly show with an amazing co-host that happens to be Enoch's dad, full disclosure. And, uh, <laughs> you have a dad? Yeah. I feel like when people find out, I mean, we prep, we work on content, but we definitely let the wheel go, so to speak. And yeah. those are always the best episodes. Yeah. So. No, really. I think our best episodes too are just when you just hit record and you just go mm -hmm. and just talk. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about yourself, Gaina Lynn. For those that don't know you, be surprised <laughs> if anyone doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have the weirdest name. So I think one of the benefits of having a name no one has is that when people are like, do you, do I know you? And if I say my name, I'm like, you either know my name because it's odd. It doesn't mean you can pronounce it or, yeah. or we've never met. So yeah, I, um, I am a mom. I have two adult kids. I have a daughter that's 19 and a son that's 25 and I've been married 32 years and my 13th book came out December, 2022. I host a weekly 20 minute Bible study show called talk of him with the great John Fossum. Um, it's our fourth season. I had a previous co-host for the first two seasons and I'm so grateful that, um, God orchestrated a new partnership with John and I do a lot of speaking around the world. I've done about 6,000 keynotes at this point. Um, oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. From the middle East to England to Arizona. Um, I do regular local and national media. So BYU radio, um, ABC four TV monthly here locally and KSL radio. And I always talk about mental health. I don't only talk about mental health, but I always talk about mental health, if that makes sense. So I have a teaching degree with a minor in psychology, and I feel like through hosting and speaking and writing, I feel like I'm still a teacher. You know, I don't, um, I feel like my classroom looks different, but for me, it's really the heart of who I am is I think a teacher or Oprah, either of those two things. <laughs> Um, I was the kid that ran home not to watch cartoons, but to watch like talk shows and the Today Show. And so I kind of feel like I'm living part of my dream. I did have an article go viral on the Today Show last year twice. And uh, so in some way that felt like it fulfilled the real Today Show dream. But <laughs> if anyone's listening from the Today Show, I am happy to come guest host at any point. <laughs> But I really value like having authentic conversations. And I think that can happen in book form. I think it can happen obviously in podcast form and other media outlets. I, I try to use social media to have those authentic conversations. Um, I'm a person of faith 
and I really like interfaith work. I grew up in California, kind of the only person of my faith in my high school. Like I'm the token, what is previously known as a Mormon. And um, yeah. so I'm like all of my high school friends, I'm their Mormon friend. <laughs> so when Mitt Romney ran for president, they were like, we know a Mormon. And it's like, I'm the Mormon that they know. And <laughs> I really love the childhood I had because it was so... To me, it was a, a glimpse in what societies could be, which is very diverse, very interfaith based. Currently, there's a temple being built and close to being dedicated where I went to high school. And all of my friends that are not of my faith are so excited about it. And all the community leaders are. And that's kind of like the place I grew up where in my mind, that's the ideal of, of heaven for me is that we're all very diverse and we bring different experiences and we celebrate those parts of us that aren't the same instead of being afraid of it. Um, and I think one of the biggest things for probably your audience is that my sister died by suicide nine years ago. And she is definitely my partner in talking about mental health. And it's why I squeeze it into every conversation that I'm in, especially within certain communities where Nine years ago, I think my book was one of the first out within like a faith genre talking about suicide and how it relates to faith. I think sometimes we think certain demographics don't have mental health needs because of who they are. And so I kind of feel like I'm I'm now in a crowding swimming, crowded swimming pool of others that are talking about it, like your podcast and others where we're having different normalizing conversations around mental health. But nine years ago, like suicide is just a yucky word and no one wanted, no one really wants to talk about it. And it's complex, but I will say after all the books, all the speaking, all the podcasts, all the TV, all the radio, every person on the planet has a mental health need and loves someone that does. And so that's all of us. Like, it's not this other group, like, Oh, the people that listen to this podcast have mental health needs, but everybody else over on in this zip code are fine. It's all of us. And I think especially after the pandemic, I think we're all in a mental health need of some sort. Um, so that's kind of what I value bring into the table and having conversations with guys like you about um, mental health, especially is important to me because men in general are our number one group dying by suicide. So they're always the group that I'm like calling out in the back of the room when I'm speaking. And <laughs> I'm always like, listen, if you want to help with mental health in your community, go talk to a guy this week who's middle, middle age and ask him how he's doing on his mental health. And he's going to tell you he's doing fine, <laughs> but you need to push him a little bit because that's the number one group dying. And people are surprised by that. They think it's teenagers, LGBTQ or veterans. And those groups definitely have high rates, but the number one, just like pure number wise, always is middle-aged men. So I, I love it when guys want to have a conversation around therapy and mental health. Heck yeah. We're for it. That's the whole yeah. reason we started this podcast in the yeah. first place. Yeah. So that's cool. I really love your verbiage too around suicide. When you say die by suicide rather than commit, mm -hmm. that's what we've talked about quite a bit too. And we we did an internship last year, this time last year actually, yeah. oh, with PG ago. Cares. Mm -hmm. The um, they're the Drug Addiction and Suicide Prevention Coalition here in Pleasant Grove, Utah, and it was awesome. That's one thing that we we learned and we put into our vocabulary is died by suicide rather than. Mm -hmm committing suicide because that just puts a negative connotation on it yeah and, and you know what i don't get super hung up i mean i've been having these conversations in media for quite a few years and so there's a more awareness now um i i think sometimes just culturally we have things that people feel familiar with so i don't ever get offended i think it's if you've heard it that way you may not see it as problematic and and that's totally fine but i think one of the things I really love to say when we're talking about this like icky topic of suicide is that it's one decision someone makes. It's not every decision they make. And so I'm really big supporter of when we write obituaries and we're planning funerals that we do not hide how someone dies. I do not think it's glorifying. I have a lot of people ask me, are we glorifying it? 
by normalizing it. And I don't think we are, but I do think it's important to say that like, especially with teenagers who have no frontal cortex developed fully yet, they're making decisions within a 15 minute window. So when I'm in the high school speaking, I'm always like, listen, this is one decision, but it's going to change the other decisions you can make. So when we're talking about this complex issue, my sister Meg was a lot of things. She was an amazing basketball player. She loved good binge watching of shows. She loved a good road trip and a dance party. And she like obsessively loved me. Like she was one of my biggest supporters and fans. And so her story has saved thousands of lives just because I feel like in talking about it, I hear from people that are planning theirs or struggling long-term and they, they start to see the long-term grief that's left behind. And the reality is it was one decision she made, but she was a 40 year old woman who had gotten exhausted. I mean, the reality is suicide is, is a, a sign of someone's exhaustion. And for teenagers that can happen within a 15 minute window. Um, for a 40 year old woman that was in and out of therapy and tried lots of different tools, it was a different journey. And so I think as, as important as it is that we talk about suicide and, and some of the risk factors, I think it's important to note that there's some shame that comes up that culturally, I think we can still work on where that's not all of who Meg was, right? That just like all of my struggles are not all of who I am. I'm a, I'm a complex person with lists of strengths and weaknesses and vulnerabilities and, and strengths that, that make up who I am at any given moment. And so, yeah, I, I, I think for men, especially when I travel with business and inevitably sit by a guy on an airplane, it turns into, what do you do? And then I bring up mental health fast. And usually they're confessing before we land about what their depression is, their anxiety, their addiction, and they haven't told the people closest to them. And so, you know, I'm so grateful for Meg in that way. As a steward over her story, it, it feels like it's opened the door to thousands of conversations with people where there's kind of a personal face on this really complex issue. Wow. That's powerful. Thanks. I, yeah. I love that. I mean, that's, it's the two of you changing the world. She's just somewhere else right now. That's all. Amen, brother. She's like totally my companion. And um, the first few years after she died, she was like, every time I would go speak, I could always feel her there. And people that were like, maybe sensitive to that would come up afterwards and be like all nervous. Like, I don't want to freak her out, but does she know Meg's here? And so, you know, usually when someone yeah. comes up and they're emotional, they're like, Hey, so can I tell you something that's a little, I'm like, Meg was here. Oh yeah. Did you know? And I'm like, totally. I haven't felt her as often. I mean, I just had a really bad accident two weeks ago and she's been around the last two weeks. Cause I've been in some pain, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm her voice. And if she could have the mic on this podcast, she would, she would full send on the message of staying in your body. That one decision changes all your other decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we need a third mic here. We only have two. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. In this room. Yeah, I'll share mine. It'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, you mentioned your accident. Let's talk about that. We're going to talk about okay. several things too, but um, let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about your experience and resilience. And what that was like for you. I think there's a lot of good learning, learning yeah. learned here. Okay. So like at the time of this taping, whenever anyone's listening to this, it's the beginning of 2023, right? We're a couple weeks into January. I have my words for the year and my goals and full disclosure. My two words for this year were beauty and trust. I always choose two because I can get all or nothing in my thinking and perfectionistic. And so two kind of creates, you know, options. And I wasn't going to choose words this year. And then they kind of chose me in December. So I've really, the first few weeks of the year, I was like every day looking for beauty. I was like, there's beauty everywhere. We live in Utah. It gets kind of gross from about January to, you know, mid-March. And I just thought this is going to help me through the winter. I'm going to focus on beauty. Trust came to me and I should have been warned a little bit that like, if you're going to learn more about trust, then you're going to probably learn about surrender. And so um, my daughter was just 
just opened a, a call to serve an a 18 month mission. And in our garage, we hang up uh, flags from missions. So like my son served in Zimbabwe. So we have a Zimbabwe flag. My husband served in Portugal. We have an American flag because I kind of feel like I'm on a mission and that's kind of my flag. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even though I try to like reach the world, but so I had two flags for her because she, I got a really unique call where she's serving six months in San Diego at the Mormon Battalion Historic Center in Old Town, and then a year in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so it was two days after her call, it was just super happy, joyful, you know, the hope of a new year. And, um, I had the thought, don't get the ladder out because that's dangerous. <laughs> and my son <laughs> plays the guitar. So I went down to his room and he has like a bar stool and John Enoch's dad likes to tell the story in a rude way because he makes it seem like I grabbed the spinny stool at home and decided to stand on it. That's not exactly accurate. <laughs> Not we, the spinny stool. It's not. I wouldn't look at this bar stool and think it's like the spinny stool. It has a footrest that if you push on it, it will move the seat. But in my mind, it's not one of those spinny stools. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the it's you like I'm sitting in my office chair and it's like obviously spinny, but I have to push to to make it move. So I go get the bar stool. I go out in the garage, I move the Zimbabwe flag over, I get the San Diego City flag up, because that's the one I got for that part of her mission. I got half of the Tennessee one up, and the seat spun. And I was probably five feet up, and I went down, and I'm still working through some trauma. Like, if I, I, I can feel the whole thing still. Like, I know I'm still processing some trauma, because I went down, and... I could feel I shattered. Like I didn't know where I had hurt other than I looked down and my arm was now shaped like an S. So oh. I knew, I knew I was in trouble and the dog was freaking out and I didn't know if I had hit my head or anything. So I was in shock and I started to call my husband. He didn't answer. So I thought I better take a picture of my crazy S shaped arm and send it to him so that if he gets the text, he'll know, come home, you know? And I got myself in the house, got the dog in the kennel because I don't know, Austin, if you have a dog, but my parents have a dog. Yes. Yeah, so okay. So Enoch dog knows, people, yeah. yeah. So Enoch knows this because you have a dog, but like, I thought if someone has to come help me, I don't want something to happen to Ruby. So I got yeah. Ruby yeah. into the kennel <laughs> and then I started calling my friend, Amy, everyone needs a friend like Amy. She's one of these people that is like, First of all, her husband's a Provo fireman and he's a flight med nurse, but she's just calm. And I called her and I am screaming. Like I can't even, I can't even speak because I happen to look down again. And I think I was just totally obviously in shock. Like, is my arm really like shaped like that? Like what is happening? Yeah. And she was like, I'm on my way. So long story short, she had already called 911. I was taken to the hospital. Um, it was shown that I had shattered it within a couple of days. I was grateful over the weekend I had to survive, but, um, got into surgery and there were 52 broken bones and I now have a permanent Y shaped metal plate with five screws and have begun the journey of rehab. Um, some people that have had this injury, it's taken a good year to get full, use. And I can't really go there. Like just on a mental health standpoint, I, I have lupus. And so I've had 30 years of daily arthritis kind of pain. And my pain tolerance is pretty high. Like I had my second child C-section. I didn't have any pain meds. Like I don't like being put on any kind of drug. That won't be my choice. Like I'd eat Reese's peanut butter cups until I was sick. I won't take drugs. Like <laughs> I'll numb out with Reese's peanut butter cups any day, <laughs> but not alcohol or drugs. And so yeah. I don't like that feeling of being out of control. And I'm going to just say I was pleading because I laid in the hospital, um, for four and a half hours with it shattered. And by hour three, I thought I'm going to lose my mind. I had used every mindfulness tool. I had used every breathing technique. 
I had gotten a priesthood blessing. I was praying. I called John. I'm sobbing. Like maybe I just need to have a conversation with someone. We had some events coming up and I'm just like, uh, you know, I was trying everything to navigate. Yeah. And, um, it kind of took me to a really not kind of, it took me to a pretty dark place the Sunday before my surgery, you know, my husband was having to bathe me and help me go to the bathroom. My fingers are now moving, but they weren't moving for a good week. Um, he was having to do everything. And that surrender feeling, that helplessness, that vulnerability on top of, I was just mad at myself. Like I was so mad. And so by Sunday, I just was just the pain alone, that navigating pain. I feel like I have empathy right now on a different level. Like in all seriousness, I, I don't know. I mean, never say never, but I don't see myself ever struggling with like a substance abuse problem in all reality. I could see other things being my Achilles heels, so to speak of numbing. Um, but I have an empathy now for those that do get caught up in the cycle of prescription drug addiction. If you have chronic pain and I have had chronic pain, like for 30 years, my family practice doctor is like, he called and checked on me and Rob's like, yeah. And she still doesn't want to take any of the pain meds. Like I just refuse it, but I can see where you go to a really dark place. If the pain is bad for long periods of time and it's at a new level. And, um, we've been married 32 years. I think it revealed some things that we're super great at and areas in our marriage. We still need to definitely work on. And the gift of this experience is I love my husband more than I did two weeks ago, but there's been moments that I'm just like, dude, that's how you're putting my hair in a pony. Like, (laughs) what does that even look Uh, like that's working like half my hair is still hanging out or like he had to shave under my arms not to be tmi but i was like wait why are you doing why are you putting the shaving cream on the razor that way like i don't understand what's happening you know where you're just so irritated and frustrated and you know you're that interdependence in a marriage but i just did a post on social media about my utter gratitude and love for my husband that 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 feeling and commitment and loyalty that comes only when you've wrestled through some stuff together. And we have, we have 32 years of marriage and two kids and lots of experiences. But the last two weeks, I have just been so grateful that I had a partner. Um, but I have, I've had to pull from a place on a mental health level that, you know, has been really challenging. Everything the last two weeks feels like I am not my best. I'm late to, I'm, you know, struggling with like not going to in future thinking. So I think that's one of the biggest mindfulness tools I've been practicing is just keeping it to the right now. Like, what do I know right now? Like, I know nothing about tomorrow. I don't know how long it's going to be. People keep telling me how much pain it's going to be for how long it's going to be. But I, that's not going to give me, that story isn't going to give me the energy and power to do today. So I'm trying to be really aware of what I'm telling myself today. And what I'm telling myself today is my fingers are moving. Like I showered by myself. I'm now driving again. You know, I'm sitting here having this conversation with you guys. I've tried to show on social media, the true experience of it. And from that, like some really sweet messages from people that have felt inspired and helped by it. And for me, that's always what a stewardship is about is like, can you take it and give it back in some way? Um, And I know there's harder things happening. And I know people keep saying, don't do that. Like your hard thing, don't try to dismiss it. I know there are really hard things happening in people's lives, listening to this podcast. And I've lived through some really hard things, but this has kind of rocked me, you know? And, um, I called Enoch, I called your dad one day and I was like panicked because they were thinking of like canceling our tapings for our show and getting a sub. And I like went crazy about it. And I was like, John, from a mental health standpoint, you cannot let them put a sub in the chair. Like, and he was awesome. He's like, 
Your dad calls me dude. Maybe he calls everybody dude, but he's like, dude, I've got you. Like, I promise G, you know, I'll do the show by myself. No one's going to. And I just said, I know everyone's trying to be nice and cancel everything. But from a mental health standpoint, I cannot have this destroy everything in my life. Like there's got to be something that feels still normal, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at right now. Like if any of your listeners find me on social, they'll see some of the full stories and gross, gruesome pictures. I mean, I didn't share the really gruesome pictures, but. Oh, can you, after the show, can you show yeah, us? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the spaghetti ass, yeah. the spaghetti ass arm is. <laughs> yeah. No, no bueno. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, there's just a couple of thoughts that I had from that story and, um, I just think the most important thing to take that from like that I learned from that is that I don't, at least my experience with people that like talking to people that I guess, trust me with their problems is that I think some people think that mental health struggles, like the source is, is limited. Like only certain things cause mental health struggles and it's like loss and job loss and divorce and, um, and loss of parents or um, single parent homes and things like that. And I think that comes with the stigma that we were talking about and it's like a cultural aspect of where we think mental health struggles come from. But I think that story illustrates that um, the source of a mental health struggle can be infinite. It doesn't matter what it comes from or what you're going through like or what you're experiencing. It could be a, like a broken wrist that turns into a spaghetti arm. It could be mm -hmm. a, a fender bender on your way from work where it doesn't even hurt your car, but like you have to process insurance and you have to work with the other person's insurance and all these different things. And not that that's ever happened to me, but I guess what I'm trying to illustrate is that um, anything can, can, I guess I don't want to say the word trigger, but like, I don't think we need to put labels on what can and what cannot be a source of a true deep, deeply rooted mental health struggle. And I think that needs to be a place where people give themselves a little bit of grace, you know, yeah. because um, we're, we're just plugging along day by day us humans. Yeah. We're, we're and fragile, you know, but um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I think Austin, Austin, that's such a good point. I love that you bring that up because one of the things like my daughter's super excited about what's coming up in her life. Um, but she just made it through her first semester of college. That was super hard. She lost four people in three weeks to death. She had never struggled. She was straight A student, right? AP student in high school. And all of a sudden she was not doing great. She's living away from home and friends had already left to go to college or, or on missions or died. And she had never like struggled at that level. And now she's getting ready to go on this other experience that's super like positive. In her mind, she's prepared. She knows why she's going and she's excited. But she knows from me as her mom that change alone, even if it's a good change, is a mental health trigger. It It is. Like, mm -hmm. I think both of you can say of getting married, you fall in love. And I remember that, you know, you found your person, you've decided this is who we're going to partner with. And there's only like, maybe there's concerns or red flags of some sort, but overall you're making the decision because you're in love and you're ready to join your life with someone and it should be happy. And it's hard the first few years. It just is it's change or the day you bring home a baby. It took seven years of infertility for us to have our son. We weren't supposed to ever have any children. It took six years to have our daughter. So most of our friends are like grandparents, you know, and they have married kids already. And, and it took a while. And I wanted that baby. I spent seven years trying to become a mom, you know, and it was still like a mental health journey for me. So I love Austin, that point of like life in general, every day, never mind genetic com components or seasonal disorder or um, whatever it is, change, happy change can trigger a need for mental health support. And so I always try to say like, as an educator, for me, therapy is education. So I mean, to answer the title of your podcast, like for me, everyone, everyone can benefit from more education. No one's embarrassed. If you're like, I think I'm going to go back and get my PhD. No one would be like, oh my gosh, Enoch and Austin, that's so embarrassing. Why do you guys like, why do you want <laughs> right. further education? That's weird. <laughs> disgusting. Like so disgusting, embarrassing. Yeah. Don't bring that up at the next family dinner. No one wants to hear about your higher degrees, right? <laughs> 
No right. one would, no one would say that about, for me, therapy is education. It's education for your brain, your relationships, your heart, your spirit. And so for me on the normalizing factor, I'm like, you should be bragging to people you're in therapy, bragging, because to me, it's a signal just like any other education that you value having more knowledge about yourself, your relationships and how things work in your life. And so I'm always high-fiving, like you better be posting about it, liking everybody that's posting that they went to therapy. And I think we have moved the needle. I mean, I've been full-time in this, in this arena the last nine years and it's starting to change. It is like, I would say the last two years, there's a significant difference. Like I'm part of some pretty big coalitions like Huntsman Mental Health. And I work with a couple cook center and, and parentguidance.org. And they weren't even around. Like there's some big resources going towards changing conversations, but what it boils always down to, to me is the one-on-one it's these kind of conversations on a podcast or with your neighbor or at work at lunch where you really are, are willing to risk. Like Austin just said, like, I'm not handling life. Why am I not handling it? Or I'm not feeling or seeing the world the way I used to. Like that's the conversation my daughter and I have had this last few months. And and I've told her like, I'm so happy that you're seeking out some other resources because you're going to keep encountering people that still have in their minds that like they should be embarrassed about going to therapy. And I've tried to raise my children to be like bragging about it, you know? Yeah. Like, look at, in our family, we totally like do therapy, you know, we just do. Yeah. yeah I mean, my family, we're all yeah. big on therapy. <laughs> yeah. That's why we love the yeah. fossums. Right. That's right. Well, one of the reasons, the other reason is karaoke on New Year's Eve. I mean, let's just be <laughs> full true. disclosure about that. It's true. I didn't want to do karaoke. And then <laughs> the, the person actually brought me in, it was my sister, Rachel. She wanted to sing. Who's magic. Song. Right. Yeah. Um, she wanted to sing her song with me. Yeah. And so anyone who doesn't know, my sister's 13 or 14. I think she's 14. She's no. 14. She's 14. It? Yeah, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's funny. Well, 14. And she can't talk, so she's nonverbal. So she came up to me and wanted to sing the song. I'm like, gosh, dang it. I didn't want to do it, but no one can say no to Rachel, honestly. Right. Let's be honest about that. It's true. So she yeah. got me to do karaoke and then I actually really enjoyed it. And I did like yeah. five more songs after that. I know. Then we couldn't get the mic away from Enoch. Yeah, he was all over it. I took it. Yeah. Was that this year? Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> I ran with it. Yeah. But I think, um, Gaitlin, you bring up a couple of good points. I think first, even if you've been married for 32 years, marriage can still be one heck of a struggle. Yeah. And no relationship is perfect ever. Yeah. You have maybe little perfect buds here and Moments. there, yeah. you know? Yep. And then for the most part, it's kind of just back and forth, kind of just yeah. a struggle of, of, uh, maintaining balance or homeostasis in your, in your marriage. And sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it's easier, but you know, it just comes down to simply the connection between you two, the commitment between you two and realizing that, Hey, we're going to hate each other sometimes yeah. straight up. It's yeah. going to be, it's going to be hard, but we're committed to always improve. And I love, I don't know even how to like, if there's a word to capture how like beautiful, sacred, unique, the human experience is for each individual. So we all go through so many things. That's, that's so different. Like, um, your daughter who's going through a lot right now and experiencing a lot of stress you're going through a lot right now and have gone through a lot and just how different each of us react to situations, you know? And I think there is a part of like divinity behind that mm -hmm. because it, let's say Austin and I go through the same thing and I don't experience a whole lot of stress, but Austin does. That's because Austin needs to learn something from it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's super cool. Just that thought to learn about the human experience, you know? And like, if you think someone is silly or ridiculous or dumb for experiencing stress for something they went through, 
take a step back and be like, hey, they've got to learn something about either themselves, about a relationship they have, or whatever it is. I feel like um, the post I did on my gratitude for my husband, I tried to be pretty clear about over the last two weeks, there's been really ugly parts of it. But like you just said, Enoch, there's been some sacred divine moments of I knew what he was giving up to try to show up for me in that moment or me surrendering to allow him to serve me in that way that at the end of it, it wasn't, it wasn't a Hallmark movie and it's not what Hollywood shows. Like, let's just take the stewardship of marriage and what Hollywood version of marriage is. It's either the extremes, it's grandiose, big romantic gestures or divorce and infidelity. And the reality is exactly what you just said, Enoch. It's the 80-20. It's 80% of the mundane of Mm -hmm. getting through the paying the bills and doing the laundry and going to Walmart and taking the dog potty and, you know, who's going to empty the garbages. And and then there's this 20% of these, like the most brilliant, magical, meaningful moments of my life are with my family, with my husband and my children. But there's so much of the everyday in there that is not always our best, you know, and not always our, um, there's no dopamine hit to it. I guess that's probably the most like neurologically based way to say it. (laughs) And yet I've told my kids, the hard stuff is the good stuff. You Mm. know, everything in your life that's going to require and stretch you to the hardest moments, there's the divine law of opposition to that. And so as much as I've sat in judgment of myself the last two weeks, it's because I thought I had learned through the stewardship of physical pain. Like I've done that for a long time. And, and I'm like, oh, I guess there's another whole layer there of what physical pain can feel like, where my limitations are, where I have to rely on my spouse, where I have to surrender my perfectionism, where I have to be more self-compassionate. Um, that's, only comes through the stewardship of shattering your arm in 52 places. You know, it really, I I don't know another class to enroll in than that for what in my unique way, like you said, is teaching me now somebody else, they're not going to get those same lessons out of it, or they're not going to feel the same experience from it. Or they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I was an ex football player. I've shattered 52 different body parts already by the time I was 20 and you know I don't know and they don't they don't need to get their hair I have to pay someone to make my hair like this right now because I can't wash my own hair or do it I just was with Enix mom and she's like your hair looks so great I'm like because I paid someone like that's (laughs) I can't wash my own stinking hair right now (laughs) you know so you know I think one of the one of the beautiful parts of all of this in my belief system is that one of the things I think a loving God in my life rep- represents is that out of love he wants to give me everything and because of that I'm going to be I'm going to be asked to go through some hard stuff but in the end I will receive from that experience but the beautiful part I think as a family of God no matter what your faith tradition is, is that you and I are going to go through very different things, which means you guys can teach me. Like, I don't have to go through everything Enoch's going through or Austin's going through because Enoch and Austin are going to share their stewardships with me. And that's to me the heart of vulnerability that Brene Brown has made so cool to talk about is that vulnerability is really like, what are your stewardships teaching you? And what are my stewardships teaching me? If we start sharing them and talking about them, and I know I'm way more open than most people are comfortable being. That's just how, that's my normalcy. I, I'm i not saying everyone needs to write books or host a show or be on podcasts and talk about all their trauma, but I do that out of value because I feel like we're all wrestling with stuff. And I would much rather have my neighbor who's really good at fixing cars and I'm really good at vacuuming that together we can be good neighbors. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be really good at fixing the cars and he doesn't have to be really great at vacuuming. I'm happy to come help vacuum and he fixes my car. But in the same way, the same thing with our mental health or our trials or our, our losses or our life experience, like 
that's where comparisons get us in trouble and vulnerability helps us because I can't tell you how many times I stand in the line at the grocery store or talk to a stranger. And by the end of that conversation, I've learned something that I don't need to go through now. Like, Mm. oh my gosh, look, you just shared with me. Or in this experience, how many people have reached out to say, hey, I went through that a year ago. I had the same injury. I had the same, I had the same surgery. If you order this thing on Amazon, it will help you be able to cover up the cast. And you know what I mean? So to me, that's the human layer that we spend a lot of time trying to hide. And yet that is the secret sauce. That human layer is the secret sauce to making through everything. Right. Yeah, I think that um, uh, it brings up a good point that Sue Johnson talks about, the founder of EFT. I love Uh, EFT. Right. Mm -hmm. I love Sue Johnson. She's awesome. Uh, But she always says, we as humans are meant to deal with emotions in concert with another human being. And I think we can even go a step further and say we're meant to go through life in concert with other human beings, you know, whether that's to simply receive emotional support from other people and to process emotions, which is why therapy is so great, or to do like what you were saying, to be able to kind of secondhand experience things from other people's stories and and situations that they've been put through and the things that they've been able to process. And so you don't have to go through that, you know, and so you can learn something super valuable without doing all the hard work. <laughs> it sounds well, kind of I, selfish, but I mean, and I all think, of us do that, we all get value from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what the animal kingdom teaches us so brilliantly. My son lived for two years in Zimbabwe. So he hung out with like, lions and tigers and (laughs) And bears giraffes and bears and um and the animal kingdom knows staying together is safer and so as humans when we isolate we put ourselves in danger and you you brought up you said the word stewardships and like talking about stewardship and i thought something like pre-recording we talked a little bit about and like we were going to discuss and me and you listen to some of your information on that and you've written and talked extensively on the subject of stewardship in regard to mental health and other aspects of life as well. But I guess, what do you mean by that? And how could the listener that has never heard of what you mean by stewardship before, how could they apply that into, I don't know, just in being more aware of their mental health and taking stewardship of it? So it's my favorite, probably favorite thing to talk about. And I start to feel like I'm going to be that lady that's like, oh no, she's going to say stewardship again. (laughs) And I don't want to be that way. I've told John that like, please, maybe we're going to need a cuss jar of how many times I say stewardship on our show, but, um, it changed my life over a decade ago when I learned this principle and last May, May, 2022, I finally sat down and felt like I needed to put it in book form because I had talked about it a number of places and people kept saying, can, can I take you to lunch so I can ask you more questions? And I realized for me, the power of writing books is that they live long on people's shelves and you can pass them around to their neighbor. And, um, I said, let me hurry and try to write this book. And then if you still have questions, we can go to lunch. Right. So I wrote the book with the same idea in mind, Austin, that you just said. Like if someone had never heard of this principle, could they read this 68 page book and figure, figure out the application of the principle. And for me, a principle means it's not perfected, it's applied and it's practiced. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to write the book for those that had been hearing me talk about it and, and knew something about it, that they would walk away with more additional understanding and insight. And the feedback I've gotten since it came out last May is that I struck that balance that someone who has never heard it before can read it quickly. It's under $7. Like it's not going to kill your bank account. And I have people that read it every week. Like they've, I have readers that message me that it's just part of their weekly reading. They just reread it because that's cool. it's a principle. You know, and so basically the quick, like 13 second commercial of what a stewardship is, is everything. So this podcast is a stewardship, both of you and your marriages, your schooling, my broken wrist, um, my neighbor who just brought over a treat, my dog who barks 
like crazy anytime someone comes to the door. Um, this computer, uh, my kids, my infertility, it's all stewardship. And when we see everything as a steward, then it pulls us out of what the opposite, and I make this case in the book of what an owner is. And ownership is like the buzzword right now. Like everyone's like, take ownership, take ownership. Right. Own your life. Own your life. <laughs> I Being a steward does not mean you're peace out or you're zoning out or you don't care or you're not being intentional or you're not being present in your life. Stewarding is, I think, even more intention. And I would say even more wise intention. Ownership becomes an over-identification of something. So I am not all of lupus and my sister died by suicide and my arm is shattered and I had seven years of infertility. You've been around people like that, that you know that they're over-identifying with one aspect of one of their stewardships. And when you over-identify, it stops you. Or another way I go into ownership classically is as a parent. When I go into ownership as a parent, then all of a sudden the choices my children make are a reflection of who I am as a person or as a parent. That's an example quickly of explaining to people, if you're a parent, I can tell uh, someone that's a parent what stewardship and ownership is the quickest, because that is the one stewardship that I go into ownership the easiest on. The other one I think culturally we go into ownership about is our bodies. When you talk to anyone that's dealing with eating disorders or struggling with body image issues, there's this over-identification. Now, as a steward of someone that has a chronic illness, I am very aware of my body and I'm very aware of what I need to do to take care of it. But if I'm not careful and I go into ownership about it, I promise you that like what I get done at the gym or how I eat or whatever I'm doing to stay healthy, if I start looking at my neighbor and how they're training for this and how they're running this marathon and how they look like this in a bathing suit, that's another way in which I can go into ownership because comparisons are one of the ways ownership shows up. Control, another way ownership shows up. Um, so for me, stewarding, allows me to stay hopeful. Stewarding allows the good things to stay good or even be better. You know, if I over-identify with the good stuff, that's just as dangerous as over-identifying with the hard stuff. And sometimes we look at our neighbors and we're like, oh my gosh, they've got all the cool stewardships. Like they're going to Hawaii. They have the best Tesla. They, you know, their kids are all going to Harvard. Um, right. And my house over here next door, why am, why is God giving me the stewardship of unemployment, my son's in prison. My car keeps breaking down. We've never been to Hawaii. When we see everything as stewardship, it's sacred. And it becomes a place where you give care and watch over it. And I have felt that way as I've sat at this desk trying to pay bills and we didn't have a job. When I look at my bills as a stewardship, it allows me to stay inspired and hopeful. When I go into ownership, it shuts me down. Hmm. Who wants to get excited about a cancer diagnosis or a divorce or a sibling dying by suicide? But the reality is those stewardships, I've watched people navigate those specific stewardships in such beautiful ways that they almost are more exciting than what is what we would call the good things. You know, I've, I've watched, I've watched in just a short couple of months, a year or over a year, Enoch's parents navigating the stewardship of Rachel, right? And having a nonverbal child. And I've talked with, with Sarah and John about how some people make it seem like it's over glorified, like it's this heavenly whatever. And then other people are right. like, oh, that's so sad. She's yeah. nonverbal. She's always going to be with you. But your parents are great examples to me. Of, they see it as a stewardship. There's some amazing parts of it, but there's hard parts of it. And so stewarding doesn't, isn't, it stops the victim for me and it stops the labeling of something being all something or all something else. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's much more expansive and organic and dynamic. And for me, it's sacred. And when I fell in the garage two weeks ago, I was like within, a, within the middle of the trauma, 
I literally was like, oh, I didn't see this stewardship coming. Like I'm in shock, but I knew immediately, oh, stewardship. And the whole weekend when I was so mad at myself, it was because I was going to ownership. Because one way in which we go into ownership is if we can control, then we think we can control the vulnerability. We can control the vulnerability out of our parenting. We can control the vulnerability out of our bodies, out of our marriages, out of our finances, out of our whatever. And that gives us a sense of safety. And so the whole weekend when I was ticked off at myself, and then by extension, ticked off and not patient with my husband because I was so mad at myself. It was because I was trying to control the outcome, which it had already happened, but I'm trying to replay it in my mind. Like, why did you choose? Why didn't she try to get the ladder down? I should have called the let, you know, whatever. And so that wasn't going to give me any energy going forward to heal. It wasn't going to give me any energy to receive the gifts of this experience. It wasn't going to give me any energy in feeling God close to me. So I had to keep reminding myself, this is a stewardship. This is a stewardship. Nobody on social media is like, yay, I'm so happy for you. You get the stewardship of 52 shattered pieces of bone in your arm, right? Right. right. But I've had so many people say, thank you. I'm going through some hard stuff. It's not the same as yours, but because you're talking about your thing, it's helping me see my stewardship different. Yeah. So that's a really long, short answer, Austin, of everything is a stewardship. Everything is a stewardship. I just guested on one of the longest running podcasts Chicago Booth University started a podcast, probably the first group to start one years ago. And they have 60,000 um, graduates that subscribe and listen. You know, I mean, and and it's this big MBA program and there are all these graduate businessmen and women that are like navigating corporate America. And so they sent in all these questions about like, how can stewarding change all of those obstacles that we see in corporate America. And it's everything. It's how we deal with middle management. It's how we deal with the change in the economy, how we handle slunking out of a class, how we handle um, our car breaking down or, or, or getting a raise and getting the best new car and getting the biggest promotion and getting all straight A's. It's all stewardship. And when you feel, if you see your life, the subtitle of the book is reframing your life. When you start seeing everything as a stewardship, I don't, I don't know how to describe like one of the endorsements I got for the book was from a professor at BYU, John Hilton. And he said, all the best books change how you see everything. And this is that book. It changes how you see everything. And when you see it different, you can navigate it different. I feel like I, as a steward, can sit more in the joy and gratitude of the stuff that you just know are yummy parts of life. But I also know that like, if I over-identify with the yummy stuff, that can change too. You know, if I over-identify as the best-selling author and host of talk of him, and somehow that changes one day because the stewardship changes, but that's all of who I think I am and all my followers go away and there's no more book sales. I'm not saying I won't go through a grieving process if that happens, but I really, 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 when people say, oh my gosh, what is it like to have all this success? I really try to see all the success as a stewardship too. Because do you know those people that they can't take a compliment? They can't, they can't have you like be excited for them because they're almost removed from the good stuff. That's just right. as uncomfortable as the people that are like so hyper over-identified that who they are is all their success, both extremes for me don't feel healthy. And so when I see all the good stuff as a stewardship, I'm less gripping on it, but I'm also not rejecting it. I'm like allowing it to be a part of my experience, but it's where I am today. I know very clearly after 52 years of life that next year or next week could look very different at a drop of a hat. And stewardship has saved me so many times. So that's why I'm passionate about it because, you know, I don't have all the answers and I slip into ownership 50 times a day. It's not like, Oh, you wrote a book and everyone bought the book. And now you are always in stewardship. No, man, this last two weeks, I've gone into ownership so many times because I've been in trauma. Right. But I get to keep choosing back in. And I, and when I choose back in, 
then I can go to God or I can go to my therapist or I can go to a friend and say, I need some stewardship mindset help. Like, how can I steward over this? Not fix it, not perfect it, not control it, but how can I be a steward today over my broken arm? For me, it just sounds a lot like acceptance and commitment therapy. It's um, there's this proponent of um, modality that we talk about every single episode called acceptance and commitment oh, therapy. Really, and um, there's this idea of it, like the, one of the foundational principles of it is that like when we when we're faced with a problem or when we're faced with a, something beautiful, like you call I called it the yummy. You called it the yummy stuff, and I really like yummy that. stuff. Um, yeah, the yucky stuff and the yummy stuff. But when we're faced with yucky or yummy, I think we like you said we tend to like own it. Like this is me. This is what I am, good or bad. And acceptance and commitment therapy teaches that we need to drop the struggle. We need to drop the rope of, of the thing that's facing us. We need to drop the rope and observe what it is rather than identifying with it and struggling with it. We just need to move from um, psychological rigidity is what the the founder calls it to psychological flexibility. And that's, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to do here is relate to what we talk about daily on our podcast, well, not daily, but weekly on our podcast to what you're you're saying so it sounds familiar because it's basically the same thing as what, what I'm hearing is that moving from complete and total ownership and identification of our what our problems are or what our be- our benefits are and moving mm-hmm. into a, a realm of almost neutrality like these things aren't what I am they're more what I'm experiencing and I can learn from them I can grow from them and I can take this opportunity to become a better me and I guess when I look at that in my own life I my my father recently passed away from from cancer and I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a hard stewardship. Yeah, hard let's call it that. Yeah, it's been a really hard stewardship and um he passed away in November and um when I when he first passed away I was just identifying fully as the guy with the dead dad and um it it just it wrecked me and now going forward, I'm I'm actually going to therapy for the first time on Tuesday for it, which is going to be fun. Looking forward to that. Look at you getting all that education, Austin. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's mm-hmm. going to be good. And um, but as I've kind of like tried to turn away from the victim mentality and like the ownership of of what that is, I'm using your own words. Yeah, I love um, it. I, I love I, it when I, people I, use my words back at me. <laughs> I found a significant decrease of um of negative emotion as I've I've stopped thinking of myself as the dude of the dad, the dude of the dead dad, but the guy who experienced um that life experience and everything that that amounted of for the past five years and um for the past two months, what that's been like, and looking for opportunities to it takes stewardship. I guess I, that's never, I never had a word for it, but that's a good word for it. Of like taking stewardship. Well, of, of what's and happened. I would just, I would just therapize you a little bit on this. I don't even know if that's the right way to use that word, but <laughs> um, self-compassion would allow you the space in the stewarding of that grief to over-identify. There mm-hmm. is space for that. Yeah. Right. I think it, will it be effective for you long-term? No. But is it reasonable and self-compassionate to allow you the space? Just like, is it reasonable mm-hmm. for me for two weeks to be in trauma yeah. from the fall? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's beautiful about a therapist is because they can be a voice outside your head mm-hmm. checking. Is this interfering with your effectiveness in your life? Is it is it starting to get to a point where you're not able to keep with the people in the relationships that matter most to you right now? then maybe we have an over-identification. But part of stewarding grief is the shock. And mm-hmm. it sounds like to me that the shock phase of losing your dad is your brain trying to make sense of this immense loss. Mm-hmm. My brain has been trying to make sense of immense loss the last two weeks. And the other day I was talking to a friend and I'm like, please tell me she's wrestling with um, one of her adult children's choices right now. And she had just listened to me go on and on about all the details of my accident, blah, 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 blah. And finally, she's like, I said, how are you? And she's like, you don't want to. And I said, oh, please, please talk to me about something (laughs) that is not in my head and in my body and with my doctors and my pain. And, you know, Um, but you've been around those people that almost felt disconnected and disassociated Mm -hmm. from a grief or a loss or a trauma. And you know, that's just as unhealthy. That's not stewardship either. They're not over-identifying, but they're not even a part of the experience. And so I would just say, Austin, like, good for you. And it's going to help you be a better therapist. And you're going to have empathy for people. And empathy comes from shared experience. It just is. So yeah, I think your brain 
definitely has to over-identify when stuff changes so dramatically, so quickly. And at such a deep level of like losing a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Even with cancer, mean. which is the slow goodbye, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. We could do a whole hour on the stewardship of cancer, right? Oh, absolutely. So, I could talk about that for probably days, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah what that's yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. We have a, there's a big saying in the church, come up, man, love it. Yeah. I, that's a good phrase. It's great. I would like, I prefer come up, man, accept it. You know, you don't have to love that you shattered your arm in 52 yeah. places. Yeah. You know, you don't have to love that. You can yeah. hate that for yeah. all, for all it matters, but we need to be a steward over it. Like you're saying, and accept it as you see it for what it is, right? Not try and turn it into something else. Like it, this situation sucks. Yeah. Right? I like, I like within faith saying, practicing praise and how praise opens up the power of heaven. Praise is not me telling God, this is Disneyland. And I think Enoch and I share a love of Disneyland. So you'll understand the analogy. Like (laughs) it's not saying shattered wrist way, way much, way fun. Totally want to do this instead of a trip to Disneyland. 10 out of 10 would recommend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But when I praise God, it opens it up to, that's one of the tools I use to go back into stewardship. Like Austin, there's nothing great about losing your dad to cancer, Mm -hmm. but when you can praise God, like literally I'll just sometimes say like, I praise you. I praise you. I praise you in this. I don't see it yet. I don't know where it's going to be light in this dark, but when I praise, I'm signaling to God that I'm keeping eyes on Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all praise is. Praise isn't, I love this five-star review. This is, I see Jesus. I'm going to keep eyes on Jesus. And if I can do that, usually that can switch me to some stewardship. Cause sometimes I don't even have words to get me in a different headspace, right? I don't have words to pray. I don't have words to even tell a therapist what's going on. That's when I practice praise. I just literally will sit there and praise. And sometimes it's praise for like, I found a parking spot, you know, I I'm grateful. I have a, a heater in my house. Cause it's freezing where we live right now. You know, you start to praise for the things cause your brain knows when you're trying to trick it. Yeah. So praise for me is not, thank you. This is awesome. Please send more of this Praise is I'm going to keep eyes on God during this experience. One of my favorite songs I love, I don't know who it's by. I could look it up, but if you're listening to this and this is your song, I love, I love you. It's great. Um, so the song's called maybe it's okay. You might've heard it before. I think it's on Caleb all the time. I don't know. Oh, I'm a huge Caleb, Caleb but... listener. Cool. So, so the, um, so the song, the main, um, chorus goes, maybe it's okay if I'm not okay, because the one who holds the world is holding on to me. Yes. I love that song. And so I, I just love how he points out just saying, maybe it's okay if I'm not okay right now. I mm-hmm. shattered my arm in 52 places, but you know where you're at with God or your higher power, whatever that is for you, you know, your anchor in that space. And so it's okay if you're not okay. You don't have to be okay all the time, but life yeah. goes on. Like the Buddhists say, life is suffering, but that doesn't put a dampen on life. That just puts... That helps them. Buddhists helps me all the time to accept that yeah. life is suffering and I can accept this. Yeah. And what. Buddhists should do like workshops everywhere around the world on acceptance. I think they get the right they get the head medal or the gold medal on acceptance. I think they are ahead of us on it. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, Gail, do you have anything else you want to tell? Our viewers or anything that's speaking to you right now? No, just therapy's cool and <laughs> life life is tough. But when you see life and do life as a steward, um, I'm still learning every day, you know? Yeah. I I feel like there's such power in these kinds of conversations. So I'm so grateful that you both invited me on. I mean, when we scheduled this, we didn't know what would be coming. And we, none of us do, we, none of us know what tomorrow is. And that's why I love guesting on podcasts like this, because they live in people's earbuds and, you know, they reach them sometimes in the dark 
corners of their closet when they feel yeah. like they don't have the courage yet to tell their friend or family member that they're struggling. And I'll just say this probably closing thought is that my life's not better without Meg. And, uh, I've used that stewardship for good, but there's not a day go by that. I don't wish that she was still here. And so if any of your listeners are feeling like we would be better without you, we will never be better without you. Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better. Thanks. So, uh, put all your plugs in if people oh. want to get a hold of you plug yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> plug yourself yeah yeah so listen you know what google knows exactly who i am if you start trying to type it so if you start <laughs> trying to type g a n that's it usually they're like oh the lady with the weird name so my website is gainalin.com and there's that's kind of the best way to find books my social media platforms um show links and my speaking calendar um, but if you already have a social media platform, that's like your favorite, I'm, I'm on all of them. I have a YouTube channel and Instagram account and, um, LinkedIn. And I don't know who uses Facebook still anymore, but I do. And <laughs> so I love to hear from people, especially after guests, you know, guest appearances like this, because then the conversation, you know, we have this conversation kind of in a vacuum and, and then it goes out there to the world. And, and I always love how it meets people where they're at when we have these more authentic, like organic kind of conversations like we did today. So I would love to hear from your viewers if, if something I shared was resonating and, and yeah, pick up stewardship principles on Amazon, Seagull book, desert books, sometimes at Barnes and Noble, but not always. So uh, I, for me, it's, it it's one of the things I know I came to earth to do. And so now that it's done, I don't know, but I'm glad it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. You heard her go blow up her DMS. <laughs> Hit the DMS. Up. Okay. Cool. Thanks so much. Ganolin again. I'm Thank sure we'll have you, you on in the future. Yeah, I would love it. I'm super fans of both of you and sorry, Austin, <laughs> for your, your grieving and your family's grieving process. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And we'll talk to you all uh, next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs> what about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? Yeah. What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about, what about therapy? What about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy? What about what about therapy? Yeah. It's perfect.